Welcome to On the Continent, your definitive guide to the week in European football. I'm Dotton Adibayo. I'm Lars Evertson. And I'm David Cartledge. On this, who is going to win the titles in the top European leagues edition? Does Jude Bellingham have to stay fit for Real Madrid to win La Liga? Or can they be champions without their star man? Also, can Xavi Alonso take Leverkusen to the Bundesliga title? Or is that a miracle too far from 34th Strasse? And how open is Serie A at this stage of the season? Gentlemen, before we start, let's reflect on the Ballon d'Or earlier this week. It went, perhaps unsurprisingly, to Lionel Messi. Mm. But what would Erling Haaland have been thinking? Um, that he'll get it some other time? I mean, I think you got to remember with the Ballon d'Or, it's not actually like a very scientific... I mean, it is a popularity contest, right? So when you have Lionel Messi, who's been the best player in the world for a long time and probably the best player of all time, I don't think that's very controversial, who finally wins the World Cup. And he wins it by, like, picking up all of Argentina and putting it into his backpack and just sort of wandering off and, and collecting the trophy. As much as football is a team sport, I mean, that was one of the most sort of clearly individual... Uh, efforts and performances we've seen in a long time, uh, Argentina's World Cup win, given the amount of like sentimentality about the fact that this was probably his last year at the highest level and he finally won the World Cup. Like there's a there's a power behind that that will sway a lot of voters in in this competition. If if you break it down and look at achievement, I would argue like being the top scorer and setting records for the team that wins the treble. I mean that usually that'll get you the Ballon d'Or, but. Uh, this was an unusual year in the sense is that you had the Messi World Cup story and, uh, you know, it is what it is. Do, do you win the Ballon d'Or, David, for uh, your World Cup performance rather than your performance throughout the year is the question I'd ask because arguably Erling Haaland stood a good shout and like Lars says, it isn't scientific and it certainly isn't a beauty contest. Otherwise, Jude Bellingham might have got it. Yeah, and look, I, this, this or Olivier Giroud. <laughs> Very I still think there's time. I still think there's time. You know, I think ultimately this is this is Messi's last one. This is it. It's all. It, I think Lars hit the nail on the head there. There's a huge degree. But he won seven before, mate. He didn't need another one. Did I he? know, but this one was special. Again, Lars hit the nail on the head. Sentimentality. That's that's where it comes mm. down to. At the end of the day, it's a it's a good. It's almost in a sense. Uh, well done, Leo, but also goodbye. Because this is going to be the last one, and now the new gen, it's going to be Bellingham, Haaland, Mbappé to, to dominate now. Uh, talking of Jude Bellingham, David, um, phew, he he is being more and more you know, essential to Real Madrid. We saw that in the Classico with uh, Barcelona, where he had to get man of the match. He scored both goals yeah. uh, for Real Madrid. Can they do it without him. I'm talking about winning La Liga without him. Should he get injured? What would happen? They would not win La Liga. He's he's that significant now. Um, he is, um, and, and look, I'm not comparing them ability-wise or, or whatever, but he is right now Real Madrid's Cristiano. They've essentially got their Cristiano type figure back. Um, even to the extent of, Bellingham's actually played a few games where he's maybe not impacted that much across the 90 minutes but he has popped up to score the winner to score to assist and he's got that about him now and I think the top players do that they can have a bad game but still pop up when it matters and Bellingham now has that aura about him Yeah Lars you could mm. almost see um, 
how he took Real Madrid by the scruff of the neck. Because uh, in the Classico, they were one down against Barcelona and it looked like it was all there. You know, Barcelona was all over them. Yeah. But then for, somehow, yeah. this uh, incredible player pops up out of nowhere and he's suddenly in the, in the penalty area, almost like the centre-forward for uh, Real Madrid. And it's nearly game over. Yeah, and that's an interesting thing about his start at Real Madrid is that we, we know him from Dortmund as a very complete midfielder who can do a bit of everything. But because... Real Madrid probably did not expect that Benzema would leave, so it's left them without a striker, really. And they've having to, I mean, and lovely, flexible, tactically clever Carlo Ancelotti, not wedded to any system or philosophy. He'll just look at the, he's a good chef. He'll look at what's in the fridge and yeah. he'll cook something. And he has looked at Bellingham and thought, huh, well, I do have a ton of central midfielders as is. So we might as well shove you a bit further forward and see what happens. And it turns out goals yeah, is what happens. It's, and you say grab by a scruff of the neck. Weirdly, in some games I've watched anyway, he kind of hasn't in the same way he would for Dortmund. Like in Dortmund, he was a lot went through him and he was the guy who was on the ball making things happen. He hasn't always been that for Real Madrid, but that's totally logical because he's playing further up the field, right? So you have other midfielders exactly. who see the ball more often. What's bizarre is that he's found this incredible goal scoring uh, thing in the middle of everything. But what I would say is, because we're moving over to a more general title race chat... Yeah, far be it from me to use stats and numbers to be the wet blanket. I mean, that's something that may have happened <laughs> far before. Be it, far may be have it. happened before. And I'm not taking anything away from it. It's unbelievable what he's done so far. And he's clearly like an incredible, incredible player and will be, I think, very possibly will be the best player in the world at some point. Um, but he is so far, he scored 10 goals so far off an XG of 4.7. Like, that will not continue. No, like, if, no, if it, that would make him the most efficient striker in the history of the game by yeah. a million miles. Uh, no one has those numbers for any length of time. It just doesn't happen. So his goal scoring is going to ease off. And I think that's worth bearing in mind in terms of what we're expecting from him for the rest of the season as well. Like no one should expect this to be for 30, like 30 games or whatever. And it also means Real Madrid are going to have to find other ways of scoring goals. I was about to say, I think... At some point, Ancelotti's going to have to look at the... I think when we get to the run in the business end of the season, Real Madrid will expect to be, of course, everywhere when it comes to the business end. Um, Ancelotti's going to have to find the, the right moment to wrap them up in cotton wool. Because Bellingham, mm. if you look at... Mm. There's a lot of numbers out there of how much you know young players, I think it's under 23, who have played the most minutes. And Jude Bellingham is well above, above everybody else. He has played a lot of football. Even four days before... A classical, there was talk of a groin injury. So there's just little pulls and twists just here and there. So there's going to have to be, they're going to have to manage him really, really well. And other people are going to have to step up, other players are going to have to step up. Um, I thought, as well as Bellingham here, I thought Kamavinga uh, changed, going back to the classical, I thought he changed the game. He came on, started at left back, but he made those little forays, marauding runs into the centre of the pitch and just grabbed Real Madrid just pushed them up a little bit further and I think he's a fantastic player really supremely intelligent player um, as well as his own technical ability where he has as well um, and he changed that game for me because in the first half Real Madrid very passive very standoffish which they have been at times in big games I think under Ancelotti which is a big criticism I think that Real Madrid fans have them that they can't the team can't stand off in games and in the second half they really took it to Barcelona and I think that's why they came through in the end Having said that, I was going to say, Lars, mm. that Vinicius Jr., mm. who was supposed to be the matinee idol for Real Madrid, is somewhat sidelined to the left. Uh, you're wincing. Let well, he's still, he's still an incredible player, right? But, but it is an interesting question that uh, I'd like to put to David, actually, because I think he watches Real Madrid even more than I do. Um, Vinicius, just two goals this season, but 
is is there also a case to be made that he's kind of drawing a lot of attention from defenders as well and that's kind of helping open up space for Bellingham to an extent a lot um, it's, uh, I remember when Neymar was at Barcelona as well he was the same drew a lot of fouls drew a lot you know other players had Suarez maybe Messi had the input in terms of the goals and directly don't get Neymar scored as well but those players the focus was very much on getting those guys in the penalty area with Vinny and I think going back to Benzema as well I find him on the counter-attack, isolated quite a lot. Mm. He hasn't got that support. He hasn't mm. got that presence, I don't think, in the final third that he'd ideally like from a, a number nine, a, you know, a supporting cast of sorts. It isn't there for him. So I think he struggles there. I think some of his decision-making is being bad. Don't get me wrong. I, thought, I still think he's still very, very young. He's still learning. That needs to improve from him. But also, I don't think he's had the right support in attack. And I think we'll see his end product increase when Real Madrid do get that that striker, whoever that may be. I think that's a very good point. He clearly misses Benzema, right? Because the intelligence that he He's had. He's been hurt the most by yeah, Benzema's yeah, yeah. departure. Just in terms of playing through balls to him and and when he makes runs down the flank, being him, him being the guy in the middle who's ready to, for the finish, this sort of thing. Like the dynamic, I, I, you know, they're great players, I'm sure they'll figure it out, but the dynamic between him and, and Bellingham and yeah, Rodrigo and whatever it's not the same yeah and I think Rodrigo's struggling a little bit as well and, yeah, and you know I think he's really feeling the pressure I think there's a there's a big amount of pressure being put on these young players you can remember that I know the status that they have and they're very very talented but it is a lot of pressure to be asked to lead the Real Madrid forward line uh, Rodrigo's definitely failing I think Vinny to a degree is failing it as well although you know whatever we might think of Vinicius Junior Real Madrid and perhaps Carlo Ancelotti specifically still see a long and and perhaps glorious future for Vinicius Junior because he just signed a new contract. Yeah, I mean, and, of course. And usually, well, I say unusually because these are becoming more and more usual now. Three-year contract, mm. um, three, three-and-a-half-year contract uh, to the end of... Uh, the 2027 season, that ain't bad, is it, for somebody who I'm starting off saying has been sidelined somewhat, not at all. Yeah, I mean, look, I, just, I think in the coming years, it's up to Bellingham and Vinny to be the leaders in that dressing room. Cruz, Modric are going to step out. I think Vinny has to mature to a big, big degree. Um, Bellingham is just unbelievably mature, frighteningly mature, I think, ever since he came on the scene with Birmingham, he was he was mature. Um, so they're going to be the leaders. And then there's no club with a more exciting young core anywhere in Europe at all. You look at all those players, Valverde as well, great leadership skills from him as well. Chiuameni, like we've mentioned, Kamavinga as well. You know, they've got brilliant, and there's Adagula who's best, you know, there was a lot of hype around him. Don't forget he's there and he hasn't really, you know, yeah. been allowed to, you know, to set in because of his injuries. But what I'm really curious about then is what happens uh, if or when Mbappe joins next summer because uh, he will very much see himself as the as the leader but and uh, how that all fits in I think is they're going to have to judge that they're well, going to have to judge that and that... I just think they've been burned a few times now by Mbappe so I think they're going to be wary of it and don't forget they've got Endrick coming in as well who's the next big mm. thing in Brazil so, so he's pressure, coming in the pressure is now on Mbappe uh, to not I don't want to use a crude word, but to not piss around again, you know. Yeah. And to, to and also, actually... yeah, and I also think we're going slightly off piste here, but we can just I'll do a quick thing on it. Mbappe suddenly kind of has everything he's always whinged about wanting at PSG, right? Because that was the story about a year ago after he signed the big new contract. No one thought he was going to sign. Everyone thought he was going to go to Madrid. He did a one eighty after being pressured by really everyone to stay, and they threw all the money at him or whatever. Then a couple of months went by, and then we had this ludicrous press story about how now he's unhappy already. You know, things aren't good. And one of the things that were put out is that well, he wanted to play with a big striker. He didn't want to be the striker. He wanted to play off a striker. He wanted the club to have fewer superstars and focus 
focus more on French talent. And fast forward to this season, and we're all just kind of assuming that he'll leave, and he's kind of not extended his contract and, or taken that clause. But if you look at the team now, he's playing off Colomani, so that's good. Zaire Emery is in the team. Yeah, he's they, They've brought home Dembele. Like, there's a huge focus on... Like, he's getting exactly what he's always wanted at, Real, at the PSG now, but we're still kind of expecting him to leave. But well, what, we, if, what if it goes well this season, and Mbappe goes, about that Typical Norwegian going off on the ski slope, off-piste again, but... Um, and much faster it, than everyone else, which well, is what we do sure in the ski stuff. Watch the Olympics. You're faster than the Nigerian, I'll mm. give you that. But if we stick to La Liga for a moment, David, if let's just assume that things don't quite work out for Real Madrid, who else are the contenders to win La Liga now? Barcelona, not many points behind them. They can be caught, but they're at least two places behind them. Yep. And there's Atletico Madrid and others to consider as well. Who's in the driving seat if Real Madrid slip up or get injuries or whatever it might be? Atleti, under the radar. They are looking brilliant. Four games, four wins across October. Simeone, manager of the month. Um, They're looking really, really strong and no one's talking about it. No one is talking about it at all. Everyone's Why is ta- that? Why is that? Because of the Bellingham factor, I suppose. Uh, I think because of Bellingham's presence, I think... Barca and Real Madrid always generate um, so much interest. I think Atleti are really liking this position. It's back to back to how it used to be. They're under the radar, underdogs, um, just steadily going along with their work. Morata is looking fantastic. Thank goodness for that. Yeah, I've yeah, he's re- for him to come good. Yeah, I've yeah. Waited. For all of his criticism, um, myself included, yeah. he's really matured. Really, just looks really comfortable. Really at home at Atleti. Um, so he's leading the line really impressively. And then you look at what they've, they've kind of got over this hurdle that Atleti always had. A lot of teams like to sit back and against them and do what they used to do against the big clubs when they were, they were in the big Champions League nights. And they're managing to get around that now. The football they're playing is very, very good. Very quick, little interchanges. They've got a lot of players there, you know, Depay, um, Griezmann. Morata, like we said, who can just interchange, exchange passes, the way the movement is a lot better now, a lot more fluid. And this is the best I've seen at Lady in years from an attacking point of view. And, and I wanted to throw in, hooking it back to the sort of Ballon d'Or conversation, Griezmann is playing incredibly well. And 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 I think, I mean, his position on that list was, was a, was outrageous, a like outrageous, was number 21 yeah. or something. Yeah. But, but it just highlights uh, the problem of having an individual award in the team sport, right? Because... He's had a great year, yeah. and his his performance at the World Cup for France was brilliant, astonishing. Uh, and yeah. Asked to do a completely different thing than he usually does, and is really playing some of his absolute best football at Atleti now. Uh, but because France didn't win the World Cup and he plays for Atleti, no one thinks of him for the Ballon d'Or, which is why those awards are a little bit silly. Uh, but uh, he's doing incredibly well. But it's worth putting in a similar kind of question to the question of whether, if you know, Bellingham were to suffer an injury, uh, would Real Madrid? Uh, win La Liga or not, you said no. What about if Griezmann doesn't perform at all, suffers an injury at Atleti? They, do they stand the chance that you think they stand currently of winning La Liga or not? Do they need him to perform or yeah, not? Yeah, they do. He, he's key. It's, yeah. it's, I think it's the same for France as well. I think if, if, the, if France didn't have him, I don't think they perform. I don't think there's anybody else can do the duty that he does for France and the same for Atleti as well. But look, you could probably score around every big club in the world and see if they lost X player. I mean, look at how Manchester City performed without Rodri in the team, for instance. You know, that you take, every club, if you take that one player, Bellingham at Real Madrid, you know, mm-hmm. again, you take that one player out of that team, 
they don't perform the same. Recently. They don't perform the same, but mm. let's look at, well, let's look at Barcelona. Mm. They can yeah. still win the league. Well, that's what I was they... going to throw in. This has become a very sort of, we haven't talked about Barcelona, but they were actually very good in the Clasico. Yeah. And that's with at least four starters out. Maybe, uh, well, at least three, a couple of maybes, but, you know, they were lacking some some big guys. And their underlying numbers, the XG so far, is actually the strongest in the league. Like, I don't think we should forget them here. I, I no, think no, 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 no. Um, yeah. And Gundogan seems to be a leader for them. As yeah, well. he's doing really well. And he's stepping up, and I think he has to, because I think Lewandowski's been really, really disappointing. I think from a depth point of view, um, Barca struggle as well and they're just they're not ruthless they, they weren't ruthless against Real Madrid if they were they would have won that game by far but they just haven't got that maturity level yet to see off games like that so I think that might cost them down the line I genuinely I know it's early days still I, I can't see them winning La Liga it would have to take a massive um, dip or a Real Madrid focus on the Champions League and like you say maybe a Griezmann injury Atleti mm. to change things but I'd be really surprised if Barca won the league uh, the Lewandowski thing, mm. it's a big problem for them if he doesn't perform, really. I mean, it is, because he's got, it's not like he's a kid who's going to get better. Like, he's 35, and he's on the hook for that. They've on the, they're on the hook for that contract until 2026. And he's their bridge to competing with the big teams. Well, look- they, well, the thing is, he, doesn't, he isn't necessarily, but they thought he was going to be, and they spent accordingly. But it, it doesn't necessarily mean it'll work out that way. No, no, not at all. And I think, you know, they've made these signings, yeah, Gundogan, uh, Lewandowski, this experience to fill a very, very young, young team. Um, and there's a lot of pressure, I think, on Lewandowski, Gundogan's performance currently, to make sure the Barca keep competing, com- competing. But I almost feel they're in a perpetual state of, of transition at the moment, you know, because the team's so young and they're still trying to figure out, you know, how to play. And there's so many players, you know, we, we saw, um, you know, so just all the young players that Javi brings in, in and out, in and out of the team, that there's no real stability there in terms of regular, you know, having a regular um, team each week. I'm so glad that you guys are doing my job for me because you've neatly, very swiftly, gone from talking about who's going to win La Liga to talking about Germany through Gundogan Jawohl. and Lewandowski. So, thank you. The question in terms of the Bundesliga is that, well, Leverkusen, Bayern Leverkusen are doing pretty well, but are they genuine title contenders? Genuine? I mean, there sh- there shouldn't be a reason why they couldn't be based on the start they've had, but you're still sort of... Well, Bayern Munich might be one reason well, why they could Yeah, be. but I mean, that's always the caveat in uh, Germany, right? Borussia Dortmund about teams might be push- another reason why they could... Mm, yeah, <laughs> we'll get to that. But but the, but the more specifically with Can't Leverkusen, you're, you're rustling the sort of... I mean, they are Neverkusen, right? Is there, like, They never <laughs> win. They've finished runners-up five times, I think. And, and and they're a team that always gets near, but never does it. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's a really important... important. It's an interesting... Th- place to go with it, I think, because Xavi Alonso obviously is, for a lot of people, the reason they're very interested in, in Leverkusen right now. And, and this has kind of gone in stages. When he took over last season, Leverkusen were a team that had some talented players, but they were a total mess at the back. They had some of the worst defensive records. And I, I remember sat here in this in this room talking about how they had like the third or fourth highest XG against in the league or something mm-hmm. like that. The proper sort of relegation battle formed defensively, like a, a total mess at the back when he took over. So obviously you're expecting Xavi Alonso to be a man who wants stylish attacking football, but first of all, he needed to like tighten up. Like they were doing weird things at the back constantly. 
so that was what a lot of last season was about. He came in and steadied a ship, and they started picking up points and and had a bit of a run in Europe and yeah, exciting times. This season, we're seeing more what you would expect a Xavi Alonso team to play like. They're, they're very attacking football, very good to watch. They've not lost yet. I mean, nine games in in the league, they've won eight and drawn one, and and they're looking they're looking quite fabulous. I have to say, yeah, yeah, it is the the quality of the football is really really impressive. It's very fluid exciting quick transitions as well and you know you watch them play and they're always offering an angle for the pass mm. they, play, they, they play a lot of triangles where if you look at the man who's got the ball he's got three or four passing options mm. and it's give and go and everyone's moving there's such a lovely fluidity the way that they march up the field I think yeah and he's kind of done it gradually like you you, you secured the defence first and then you've built on that and just made some really smart additions in the summer, Granit Xhaka has been really good for them. Yep. Uh, I, I think he went back at Arsenal fans might feel like it's a shame because they could, they could have gotten a year or two out of him. But I also tend to think he kind of went back to Germany at the perfect time where he was still very, very mm-hmm. good and can really lift one of the best teams. I, I look at Dortmund and I think, hey, this this guy would have been good for you guys. Like, what, what, what were you doing? Because <laughs> he would he would have really added to there. But anyway, I think Jonas Hoffman has been a very canny pickup. Yep. Like, he's not a flashy player, but he's a really experienced uh, campaigner at a very high level, very tactically smart. And of course, this is an old player I'm familiar with because he started. He went to Norway. He was in Norway earlier. Victor Boniface, the oh, Nigerian, yeah. Nigerian he's forward, fantastic. he's playing well. He's he really has. Well. And he was like in Norway. It was one of those where everyone could see there was talent there, but he was a little bit um, unstructured and tactically. I, I think they wrestled with him a little bit of getting him into. And then he had like two ACL injuries as well. So I mean, he's he's really had to. You know, had had to overcome some stuff, but but after moving from uh, Belgium to Leverkusen this summer, he's just been fantastic. And uh, yeah, I want to I want to give a shout out to um, Alejandro Grimaldo as well. Yeah, Brought in a free good. transfer from Benfica, uh, Barcelona product. Um, he's he's been excellent. He was excellent at Benfica for a number of years, and people. Would have, why is he not getting a big... I think a lot of people talked about him potentially going to Manchester City. A lot of people talk about him potentially mm. going back to Barcelona as well. Leverkusen had a very unsettled left-back slot as well. Yeah. And he's come in and he's been brilliant. I think he's a really outstanding player. One of the under-the-radar players in Europe over the past few years. Um, and this was a great move for him. And, and he's been very integral to that. That style of football that he enjoys, that he plays, yeah. really suits Xavi. Seems to have a good connection with Florian Wirtz as well, yes. who's, who's kind of back to yes. his best now. We have to talk lot. about him. He's so good. But I also, before we briefly do, I want to flag this up again. It's not the most exciting thing about this team, but I think it's one of the things that really speaks to Xavi Alonso being a good coach is that that back line, it's still the same dudes who were bad, mostly. Yep. Like, I mean, Kosanu, Ta and Tapsoba are like all defenders who have talent but have been inconsistent, yep. who make mistakes. And Radeski in goal, I like a lot. You know, the Finnish national goalkeeper, he's a good shop stopper and a shot stopper and a, a big joker in the dressing room. So he's very, very popular with his teammate for the national team, at least. But he has a rick in him, right? Mm. So you have, a, you have a back three and a goalkeeper who are all like slightly notorious for being accident prone. And Xabi Alonso has made it made them play very well together, and and I, I think that you got to look at the coaching side of it there. I mean, that's a real feather in his cap. Yeah, I was going to say to tighten up the defense, but also don't forget that attack. First team in top five leagues to sc- in Europe to score fifty plus goals. Mm-hmm. So that's that, impressive. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. The fact that they haven't lost as well, impressive. Mm-hmm. Not surprising that they are top of the Bundesliga. Yeah. But and, and that's why can you take it all the way, right? And that's yeah, the next exactly. thing. Exactly. And like I said, this has been in stages. You had stage one, he came in and steadied the ship. And stage two is making them... Steadied the ship. You saved them from relegation. Yeah. and Second from bottom. Yes, I think second from bottom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And stage two is now getting them to play 
good football. And then I think stage three will be will be getting past the sort of weird thing about Leverkusen never actually winning anything <laughs> because they are a, they are a strange team. You know, they're basically um, they're a factory team for the Bayer Pharmaceutical Company, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's right. Yep. And they have a much smaller fan base than other German mm-hmm. clubs, a smaller stadium. There's less pressure. There, it, it, it's a great sort of. They've always, always been good at scouting and, and finding talents and developing them and moving them on. And they're this type of club, but it so doesn't. Basically, seem, you're saying they can't. Uh, th- no, but keep, there's always been this sense that, like, at some clubs, you have to win every game. Like, you have the pressure of, like, it's a total disaster if you don't win, and that just doesn't quite exist at the same way at Leverkusen. But and maybe this have... is maybe this is very superficial, but there's always been a sense that they're a club mm-hmm. that doesn't win things because it's all a little bit comfortable and casual. Do, do you... And and Xavi now, I think the big test for him. I think already what he's done is a huge. He's he's card. a winner. Like, look at his playing career. He's a winner. So maybe he's going to yep. instill this mentality. This maybe is that thing. is yeah. No, I think from from here on out, if Leverkusen finish second, third, or fourth, what he's done is still a brilliant calling card. And I still think, you know, if you're Real Madrid, or, it's, ine- or, or, it's inevitable. That's or, inevitable. Or Bayern, for that matter. But the next thing is, if he can also kind of push them across the line, that would be incredible. Wow, that'd be huge, uh, that, yeah. that would be quite something. Well, if if he can, he, he won't be there for very long, as we know. But is it important for them to stay top of the league? Even though Lars is saying, look, if they finish third or fourth, that would be a good result. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll accept that. Mm-hmm. But whilst they're in the running for the Bundesliga, is it important for them to stay at the top? Because they've got Bayern, certainly, and others breathing down their neck at the moment. And the moment they slip up, you know, everybody will suddenly realise they'll have their tails up mm-hmm. and come after them. I-, I wonder how important it is that they keep that distance or at least they stay at that top. Almost like, you know, if you turn to the Premier League, Leicester had to do for the entire season. And could they possibly do that? I think so. I, I genuinely, you know, Bayern aren't, I mean, we'll, we'll get the Bayern, but you know, they aren't Bayern of old. Um, you know, if you, if you look, they're so used to looking down on everybody else. Right now, they're having to look up somebody else. And it's, you know, if you look at Bundesliga over the years, it's always been a case, I think, even when Bayern weren't at it, that that particular club, say Dortmund, who were top at the time, just ended up letting it slip, and Bayern just snuck in. When we got, we saw last season on the last yeah, day of the season. But they've got the players. Uh, yeah, they've it, got the quality of the players. They've got the quality of the players. But you have to ask: Are Bayern going to be there in terms of old Bayern, and have that aura, have that mentality about them to dominate that league? Well, I mean, wet blanket Severson here. I still, they're still massive favourites, Bayern. Like, let's get yeah, it right. Yeah. Um, I completely agree that something's not quite right at the club and Tuchel hasn't fully like got them purring yet. Mm-hmm. But they've got incredible quality and they've got Harry Kane, which yeah. In, you, yeah. in this league in particular will get you even more goals, as it turns out. So they're still huge favourites, don't get me wrong. They although, always will be. But... Although the way they got knocked out of the cup, the DFB yeah. Pokal. That was funny. By a third division team, yep. Saarbrücken, mm-hmm. uh, last night, it doesn't, suggests or it doesn't bode well does it It doesn't bode well for Bayern doesn't bode well for Thomas Tuchel and the the disgruntlement there must be in that dressing room right now and I imagine that Leverkusen looking at that are thinking well they can be beaten them not can be beaten by a third division team yeah exactly so so we are the front runners by a long shot not just two points which it is now yeah, Alonso will be telling them, look, you can win this league. Not only because you are talented, you're a great group, but also because Bayern aren't Bayern right now. Yeah, so this is a chance. Yeah, but they should be division. No, oh, no they, definitely, they definitely should. I know they're rested yeah. players, but they still should have yeah. enough. And yeah. they're, 
What should we say? Yeah, they're not buying, aren't buying. What do they need to do to be buying again? Well, put Harry Kane on the field would be one of the things. <laughs> I mean, he was uh, benched for this one. And, um, you know, they had a... It's one of those, they had 75%, you know, they had 75% possession and a bunch of shots and stuff, but they couldn't really, you, they didn't, yeah, and they couldn't convert it into anything. And uh, You yeah. know as well as I do the memes that are going around about Harry Kane and his lack of, um, let's say, book titles, yeah? Yeah, uh, but, yeah, and, and it is, I mean, it's tempting when you have a big upset in an early round of the Cup to just go, oh, well, that's a mishap, the Cup isn't that yeah. important anyway, we move on. But that just isn't quite how it works at Bayern. The Cup is important. There's only so many trophies you can win throughout a season and Bayern aim for winning all of them. So this, this is a huge, uh, huge scratch in and the I, veneer of, yeah. of Thomas Tuchel's And I imagine uh, the party still Audi going on at Saarbrücken. <laughs> the party at Saarbrücken yeah. will be going on for some time. Okay, one more major European league to discuss now. Um, Serie A, it feels like a number of teams could win that. I know Inter are in pole position at the moment, but not by much. Um, And the people beneath them coming after them, one or two surprises perhaps, but they are often the usual runners and riders. Yeah, I um, think... in, what kind of a season do you see this as being for Inter? I agree with Jose Mourinho. He said that Inter by far have the strongest squad, which I do agree with. Rudy Garcia, Napoli manager, came out and said, "I don't believe that at all. You know, it's not that. You know, they're not the strongest by far. There's other teams around there, including Napoli. Um, but Inter's depth is there. Um, I think they've got the best start in eleven as well." They've got, I think, you know, the best player probably in Serie A in Lataro. Um, and then they've also... As long as he's got somebody to assist him, probably, obviously. Yeah, exactly. Lataro. And that gets on to probably one of the signs of the summer anywhere um, in Europe, in Turam, um, who has been phenomenal uh, since he came in. and Came in on a free. He though. came in on a free. Um, and he's has the most assist in Serie A right now. Um, he's set up a brilliant partnership with Lataro, which is interesting because if you've got to remember going back to the Lukaku saga over the summer, Lataro, <laughs> I remember him saying uh, that uh, he'd messaged Lukaku during all this and he was sat to see him going, like, oh, can we sort this out somehow? Can something happen? So he was sad and he was disappointed when Lukaku left, but I'm thinking he can't remember, even remember what he's called right now. <laughs> <laughs> he knows very well what he's called. And is he the new Lukaku? Um, for he's, he is a different player, though. For, I mean, yeah. he's, he's he's tall, sure. But, I mean, he's a player who's played out wide. He's quite quick and dynamic and mm. can go past people. Even though he's tall, he's not quite the sort of physical powerhouse in, in challenges as Lukaku is, but he's more yeah, he's mobile. He's more consistent. He's, though, more mo- he's more mobile, certainly. Yeah. And... Um, Given that Inter are often quite a counter-attacking team, I mean, it's certainly something they're very good at. He kind of fits into that quite well as well. So, it's, and I also just think in general, you know, there is this thing about Serie A, the top teams in Serie A, like they don't have as much money as the wealthiest teams on the continent, but you get the sense that they're kind of trying to stay relevant occasionally by like throwing big contracts at aging stars. 
I do wonder if they do better to look at who are sort of the best uh, 24, 25, 26-year-olds around that they can actually afford and bring in, even if those aren't like the blockbuster top-ranked talents so. on the continent. And Chiram's a great example of that. He's not the f- most famous striker they could have signed this summer, no. but he's a guy who's in his prime who offers them an awful lot and I think will probably make them a better football team than Lukaku. Four goals, five assists, uh, and that's in his first 10 games at Inter. They're two points ahead of Juventus. What about Juve as a possible title contenders? Oh, not a lot of fun to watch, but they yeah. are just kind of ticking along, Functional. aren't they? Speaking of not fun to watch, I mean, before we leave Inter Roma completely, what a flag up. The thing with the whistles was enormously funny, like because obviously <laughs> Lukaku doing a 180 and deciding not that to start negotiating with rivals and stuff and not staying at Inter obviously annoyed a lot of Inter fans because he'd had such a passionate love story with them. You know, he re- reignited his career there. And then he went back to Chelsea and had a bad time and then said, you know, said some things in an interview and came back to interest. This is where I want to be. Uh, and then he just kind of did a 180. Like, oh, I might have a chat with you enters. So, I mean, this is sort of, this is not good behavior from Lukaku. So the um, Inter Ultra is going to hand it out thousands and thousands of whistles uh, that fans were bringing into the stadium to whistle every time he had the ball. And the police tried to confiscate them and were handing out like fines to everyone who had a whistle. Really? Yeah, which then led to fans downloading an app to their phones that made a whistling sound. Uh, <laughs> you got to admire was, like, it. Apparently was the most downloaded it. app in Italy on uh, on, <laughs> on Sunday evening. Um, so, so you still made, I mean, I only watched this on TV, but it made an incredible noise. Mm. Anytime uh, Lukaku came by, you had thousands and thousands of whistles and some apps uh, going off every time Lukaku was near the world which in the end wasn't that often I mean watching that game it made me think of what was his name was it Michael Collins was the guy yes. from the moon landings right who did not go to the oh, moon yes yeah yes, he was stuck right. in the he was stuck in the thing uh, in, that was circling so so famously at one point he was like the man who was the furthest away from any other human in the history of, of mankind that's right, right? That's right watching this game that's what Lukaku was doing basically he was just kind of completely abandoned whereas <laughs> Roma were like parking all the buses and like poor old Lukaku was trying to fend for himself I mean we're not going to talk about them because they've got nothing to do with the title challenge but my god that was turgid from Roma yeah Mourinho wasn't on the bench even but it was such a classic sort of bad Mourinho performance of just turning up and trying not to get beat and offering absolutely nothing and it's embarrassing stuff sorry Rado had to stick the boot in since I'm here and what about Juve are we writing them off no not at all Juve actually are also boring but they're ticking along right They're, they're right up there they're just two points behind Inter (laughs) <laughs> they only scored 16 goals all season which isn't amazing uh, but uh, and they I mean Frosinone has got 15 and they're newly promoted but and they're not great to watch they're intensely unlovable but they're picking up points yeah, I was going to say they're, they're, they're functional yeah they're, they're, you know and look I think any other club would probably be rocked by a scandal but um, I think they'll get through the betting scandal okay and they are going to be there or thereabouts I think it's between Inter Juve and Napoli to be honest with you, I can't see anybody else really. You know, Milan just aren't there for me. So, yeah, so I do want to doff the cap uh, in the general direction of our dear friend Nicky Bandini, uh, who who really nailed this because I mean the game of the weekend uh, for me by a mile was uh, Napoli versus Milan, uh, which was a fantastic watch. It was so much fun and it was a great tonic after the very very turgid uh, Inter Roma experience. But as uh, Nicky very succinctly put it. It, it was a great example, also a great example of why none of these teams will win the league. <laughs> because <laughs> there's too much chaos. And there's a lot of things to like about both of them. Uh, I, I, but they're I not know, reliable at the back. I know back-to-back uh, titles aren't unusual in Serie A, but they would be if Napoli did it. That would be quite 
some achievement, wouldn't it? It would be a huge achievement. Um, yeah. I think, you know, they've already had a few soap operas to start the season and in the summer as well, you know, with Awesome and Kvachkalia. Um, So them getting through, and I think they will be there or thereabouts purely based on the talent that they have in the team. But Rudy Garcia, again, is a huge ma- negative. Yeah, huge, massive <laughs> Sorry, negative. A manager that's never, ever convinced me. But I still think they'll be around there purely because of the star quality of the head. And, and a manager who almost certainly would have been sacked if Conte wanted the job by now, as yeah. the, is, is the rumours yeah. anyway. So uh, we, we all remember the Tinker Man from over here. Is it Cagliari at the mm. uh, moment doing his, uh, well, what feels like, or at least he has suggested it might be his lap of honour um, in Serie A, Claudio Ranieri. But they achieved history by... Turning around a three-nil deficit yeah. in the seventieth minute—is that—is that even important? So there's a further subtext to this, which is you say it's his lap of honor, which probably—I mean, you never know—he's seventy-two, but it's—it seems it has well, the feel. It, it, it has the feel of, of one last gig, yeah? Yeah, yeah. But but the fact that it's Cagliari is significant because Cagliari was the first club he was like really successful at as a coach, which was back in eighty-eight, like the late the, the turn eighty-eight. Ago, to, he was there from eighty-eight to ninety-one. Why, why are you laughing? <laughs> because it's just remarkable they're still point, around. Right? Yeah. I, I was, <laughs> I'm just trying to. <laughs> when exactly did he join them? I wonder if it was I like one year old or two yeah, years old. When he was, yeah. uh, but, but basically, he's gone back to Cagliari, got them promoted through the playoffs last season, um, and they've not started well so far. They've looked out of their depth. They've mm. not won in the first nine games. They were playing Frosinone at the weekend, which is also a newly promoted team. So it's one of those where you feel, okay, this is maybe it's maybe possible. Frosinone at home, a fellow newly promoted team at home. This, this is where we need to maybe get a win. And they and they go three nil down. It's like this is not looking good uh, for Claudio. But as you say, um, he's a tinker man. Yeah, he made some changes. He tinkered, and having been three nil down after seventy minutes, they managed to turn it around. And it's Leonardo Pavoletti who I kind of like because he's a he's a throwback. He's a nineties Serie A striker. He's big and strong, moves roughly the same speed as the Sahara. You know, when the when the when the deserts they gradually shift over time. That's the the, the desert shifting and Pavoletti in a straight sprint is roughly the same speed, right? <laughs> and, and and he kind of comes on, and he was the guy who scored the winning goal that took them up in the playoffs as well. Like so, he's he's a bit of a yeah a character for them. Comes on and scores twice in extra time to turn it around to make it four three. Um, will they stay up? I mean, probably not. But yeah, what a moment! Well, yeah, exactly. And just a little quote from Ranieri, which I <laughs> which I really liked, and, and kind of follows on from what you said. I always hope for impossible things. Ah. <laughs> poetry, poetry, <laughs> motion. Gentlemen, it's that point where we ask you uh, to recommend a game of the week for us each. I know you both got one. Uh, you were competing before we started this as to who would take what. I think you went for Germany, did you? Because there is a right answer, and then there are many wrong answers of this weekend. Like, yeah. sometimes there's a lot, there's a there's a smorgasbord of like European delights, but like, and I'm sure David would come up with something good. I'm I'm not uh, doubting him at all. But like, come on, it's Dortmund Bayern Munich. <laughs> I mean, it clearly is what it is. Given that Bayern, you know, they got Joshua Kimmich suspended because he got himself sent off like a moron against Darmstadt last weekend, and, and then they lost to Saarbrücken at the week to just kind of spice things up a little bit. Now they have to go away to Dortmund, who, yeah, we're kind of back to old sins a little bit in that sort of crazy three-three draw with Frankfurt. But they have been looking a little bit more solid this season. Um, you spoke about it on a previous OTC episode. You know, uh, less sexy, more successful is the idea for Dortmund. 
And what it's a great time for them to come up against a Kimmich-less Bayern who are just reeling from some uh, shenanigans in the cup. Maybe they can do it. And that would really uh, put a very large cat uh, amongst some very scrawny pigeons if uh, if Dortmund could get a win there. Uh, and you're going for Southern Europe, are you, David? I'm going for Italy. And uh, following on from what we've been discussing, I'm going to go for an Italy game. Um, mm. Five o'clock on Saturday, uh, they're away to Atlanta. Atlanta not doing too bad themselves. They're fourth, 19 points. Inter's, of course, top on 25 Could at the moment. Could be their year, you so know. We it, didn't mention that. Well, this is the thing. We talked about Inter, whether they can win the title. This is going to be a big early test, I think, you know, for them. So we'll see how that goes. But um, yeah, this is going to be a real test of their title credentials, I think, early on. So what would you eat with that? Oh, um, I'm going to be very <laughs> basic here. I'm just going to go for pizza with this. Well, nice ma- 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 margarita. Basic. A yeah. margarita pizza, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah of has, course. Has to be margarita. I'd like some black olives on my margaritas. Do you? Or, or do you want to go for some other option, Lash? Well, I mean, of... that wouldn't be a logical Dortmund Bayern Munich uh, place to have olives on a margarita you with. Can it. Eat, like, <laughs> you can eat margaritas with olives that anywhere is true. in the world. That is true. No, um, I've seen, I've, I've I've been on a pretty sort of punishing diet recently, so I, but I think it's working, folks. Thank you, it's thank you. That's very kind of you. Uh, but uh, for this, I think I shall uh, permit myself a bratwurst. It's not healthy, but it's very tasty. Well, before Lars fades away, <laughs> uh, thank you for listening to On the Continent. Make sure you join us again tomorrow for Ask OTC, where we'll be answering all of your questions about the latest news from the world of European football. And do make sure to subscribe as well in your podcast app so that you never miss an episode. On the Continent is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.